Welcome to the film that blew my mind. I'm Tabitha Jackson. And I'm John Cooper, here with another episode of our weekly podcast, All About the Heart and Soul of Cinema. And today we're talking to Michael Showalter. Michael Showalter, it says here, has worked in every nook and cranny of comedy. He wears the hats of writer, director, producer, actor, musician, stand-up comedian, podcast host, podcast host. What that's the not hell a is thing. That's, that's not a job. thing. Author and many others. His most recent work includes the film Spoiler Alert with Jim Parsons and Ben Aldridge, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, great movie, which brought Jessica Chastain an Oscar for her performance of Tammy Faye, the television series Search Party. Which I love. Yeah, it was awesome. And the film The Big Sick. Which with, I love even more. <laughs> with Kumail Nanjani and Zoe Kazan. And his earlier work includes the cult classic Wet Hot American Summer that premiered at Sundance Film Festival. Oh, aren't you clever? I know, aren't I? Um, the M- MTV series, The State, and his books include, if there wasn't enough, Guys Can Be Cat Ladies Too, A Guide for Men and Their Cats, and Mr. Funny Pants, his autobiography, probably. And he is here to share with us the film that blew the mind. And that's what we're here to do. It's so nice of you to be here. Yeah. What are those eyeballs behind you? I'm in a I'm in a production office, and this is just the room. My office is here, so I wouldn't, I'm not even sure. Um, but it's very, uh, Louis, it's very cinematic. Louis Booneywell. Louis Booneywell. <laughs> it's uh, the uh, the dream sequence from uh, Spellbound. See, I I know my stuff. Whoa. I know my stuff. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're cinematic. Yeah. He's a show off yes. already. Yep, yep, Michael yep. show off Walter. <laughs> um, show off. Walter. Oh God, <laughs> he's heard them all. I'm sure from third grade. Yes. Um, <laughs> As you know, we're here to do um, our podcast, which is the film that blew my mind. And I, should we just jump right into it? I think so. I'm on the edge of my literal seat. But I do want to say I am really flattered to be here. I, I honestly, you guys are are luminaries, and you're and you've done inc- incredible work. And I really mean it when I say I'm very I'm very flattered that you invited me to be a part of your podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Michael. That does mean a lot because that felt sincere was probably <laughs> it was apart from everything you say the only moment of sincerity in this podcast so we appreciate okay, you for taking the time good. thank you so michael showalter what is the film that blew your mind the film that blew my mind is a film called crossing delancey whoa um that stars amy irving and uh peter Riegert and jeroen crabbe did I get that right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I saw they'll it. Be, they'll be I saw it in the credits. I had no idea. Jerowen Crabbe. So. And uh, it was directed by Joan Micklin Silver. And it was written by Susan Sandler based on Susan Sandler's play. And uh, I saw it in 1988. I saw it for the first time in the theater. In the original release. Yep. I saw it at the Angelica okay. Theater in 1988. Um in New York City at, at at a time when the Angelica was like at the height of its Angelicaness, huh. and what um, do you mean by that, Michael? Well, I guess everybody who's seen movies at the Angelica probably owns their time period as the best time for it. But at, when I was a freshman at NYU in 1988, um, I have vivid memories of going to the Angelica and just seeing this, and and in a sense, it was kind of like when you know it was at a time when Sundance was sort of also uh you know it was the Spike Lee movies and it was just the, starting just, yeah and it was just, just hitting our stride and right. it was um like um uh Hal Hartley mm-hmm. and all these mm-hmm. kind of great independent spirit feeling movies were coming out that were always at the Angelica and they're some of my favorite movies. So like, I just have all these incredible associations with it. And David Lynch, this was like at at the height of David Lynch's like period, you know, when he was making all his best movies. And um, I remember seeing like the cook, the thief, his life, his wife and her lover. I saw that at the Angelica and it was just like a great time to be, you know, young and in New York city and watching movies. And what was great about the Angelica is it was clean because before then all the art houses were kind of these yeah. 
a little bit of the shabby side. And that one was like, all right, we're owning this as a, as a real place to come. And you could take dates. There well, you also everything. could very easily see more than one movie. Yes. I know. It was a very easy movie uh, theater to sneak into other movies at. And, and they didn't care. No, they didn't <laughs> that, care. I think they didn't care. I think we have to have more of that actually. Yeah. Um. So, so it's not the flashiest of movie to choose for this exercise. You, are you disappointed? No, not at all. I'm more curious. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm very curious about what it was about that movie. Cause I have a lot of ideas why you might respond to this, but well, like, it's a romantic comedy. I mean, it's mm-hmm. obviously it's in the very much in the kind of, uh, continuum of a Woody Allen, Woody Allen, New York romantic comedies or any, or, you know, Harry, when Harry met Sally, it's like, there was this time period where like the iconic New York based romantic comedy was like, there was another one coming out every couple of months. It seemed like, um, so I had a great affection for those movies. I grew up in New Jersey and I loved Woody Allen growing up. And I loved um, those other movies that I talked about. Um, and, and so there's that there's like the New York thing, um, the New York romantic comedy thing. But I think also it, um, I, I was thinking about this and sort of like some of the things I might say about it is like, I sort of relate to every main character in that movie. Like, you know, I want to talk about Izzy, the 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 uh, Amy Irving character. I very much related to her character and her sort of journey from beginning for sort of where she starts and where she ends. But I also relate to Peter Rieger's character, who is the pickle man and is kind of an iconic romantic comedy creation, I think. And then um, and then I somewhat relate to Jerowen Crabbe or whatever his name is. Um uh, and so the, those three characters combine sort of every part of me in a lot of ways. And so I keep coming back to the movie and I learn something every time, um, as a filmmaker, it's kind of like the movie that I, you know, I, I thought about, well, what, what would I talk about? What kind of movie would I talk about on your show? And in a weird way, more than any other movie as the work that I do that movie has really influenced me more than any other movie. I always go back to it and think about it. Wow. Okay. So, so let's dig in, but maybe before we do that for listeners or viewers who haven't seen the film, could you give us a summary of what the film is for you? Sure. So it's about um, a woman named Izzy played by Amy Irving, who is sort of a, liberated, cool, young-ish person living the life in New York City. She's um sort of uh liberal in her sexual in her sexual practices. She has an ex-boyfriend that she's still kind of hooking up with. She has a group of friends that are all kind of funky and downtown and cool and they go to bars and they do that kind of thing. She has a great job at a cool bookstore, a very sort of romantic New York classic New York bookstore on the Upper West Side where they have functions and they play music and all these cool people come to them. And so she's sort of like having a life that I think a lot of us sort of grew up fantasizing about having you. You move to New York and you're in the scene and you have a cool job. And so that's one part of her. And then the other part of her is that she has a grandmother, her Bubby, who lives on the Lower East Side, which is... I'm not a historian, so I don't want to speak with any authority on this, but there's a great history to the Lower East Side, particularly to the Jewish communities in New York. And she has her her grandmother who lives in the Lower East Side, and they're very close. And they have a very funny relationship because they're very different. The grandmother is very old-fashioned and has all these sort of old-fashioned ideas about how things should be. And she is trying to set Izzy up with men through a a matchmaker, which, and this is interesting. I've never thought about this. I haven't thought about this one time since I saw the movie at that time. And you guys will agree with me here. Not even just a matchmaker was considered like a terrible way to meet somebody, but any kind of matchmaking thing was really looked down on. Do you remember that? Like, like, like it wasn't now people have all these grinder and, and 
what are all the, you know, like all these ways that the hinge and all these different like accepted ways that people make meet each other through matchmaking apps. But in the eighties, before all that existed, it was seen as like the most shameful way to meet somebody. Like empathetic almost like, too. Yeah. And and old school in a not in a not good way. Yeah, like, like I remember my the- my mother saying to my sister who was a little bit older to me something about, you know, you could try to meet somebody through a dating service. And it was like, oh my God, that is like the most embarrassing, horrific thing you could ever say. <laughs> in London, we're still doing the timeout. Uh, back page ads. That's how you. Yeah. That's how you met people. Yeah. Really. Apparently, wow. I don't know. Obviously. <laughs> well, the first one I'll forget the name of him, but the first one that kind of started going was one that was in the back of Time Out magazine. Yeah, New York Time Out. There was a way to start, but it like started really slowly that way, and then it obviously became a, a, a you know an internet thing. But anyway, so in a sense, that 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 attitude very much existed, which is that the the grandmother is is hired a a matchmaker to try to set her up with good Jewish boys. And um, she's mortified, mortified. And meanwhile, there's this handsome, worldly, um, European, European success, successful, dashing uh, Mm -hmm. guy who is very flirtatious And who she has kind of this like just enormous, enormous crush on. And he's giving her just enough attention to keep her um, feeling like there's an opportunity, that there's some chance that they might, that they might um, work out. So she, I mean, I could, I'll go on a little bit further. She's introduced through the matchmaker to Peter Rieger's character, the pickle man who she likes a lot, but is very convinced of the fact that they don't fit. And the reason they don't fit is because he represents old, an older way of living. And he's very, um, you know, parochial. What's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, uh, Small, you know, there's a word I'm thinking of, but he's a, he provincial, provincial, provincial. Yes. He's provincial. And he has, a, it's a little pickle stand where he's selling pickles out of a barrel and his hands smell like pickles and he's not very fashionable and he doesn't see he's not the kind of guy she thinks she should be with. And critically, she also hates the fact that he would try to meet women through a matchmaker, which becomes a plot point in the movie. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Um, and but he is incredibly romantic and charming. So she is drawn to him, but she can't figure out what to do with this guy uh, who's very into her. And so the movie is kind of a a love triangle between her and the pickle man and the poet and a kind of a who's she going to choose story. And um, it has a, you know, and in the end, of course, she chooses the pickle man, which which we would all there would be riots in the street if she didn't. Um, But uh I think that's does that a decent uh, yeah. summary? Yeah, that was that was a beautiful summary. I mean, I think also for me, watching it, it's it's a beautiful film. It's beautifully observant of a time and a place, and there seemed to be that the enjoyment of Joan Micklin Silver in capturing almost documentary moments from the Lower East Side that 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 these cultural moments these ethnic moments um that it that make the film beautiful and interesting as a document as well but anyway that's totally that's, totally it, it so much more than its plot it and felt. it's 1988 and it seems like right before the whole transformation times square got cleaned up short in the what 90 starting in the 90s the giuliani years and it was like the end of a of an era and it's the end of an era for those people mm, as well mm. especially for the grandma um bubby um, and it's funny that he was very, she was very clever. She, she didn't do anything very much with the parents cause they are the in between generation. Yes. Right. So they right. almost, she had, they're in the Florida, the story. Yeah. yeah. They're in Florida. So the structure of the story is <laughs> yeah. very much yeah. that 
it's the really old world yes. grandmother with with her. And she, I love I love the scene where she has to explain her like, Mom, I'm doing well. I mean, to her grandmother, my grandmother, I'm doing well. I have all these things. I'm I'm important. And I think all of us have done a little of that with our parents. Mm-hmm. Like, I know you're feeling sorry for me, but actually I'm happy with where, where I am. <laughs> yeah, right yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. So so what was it that's, that struck you about this film in, in the sense of blowing your mind? That's a that's a high bar and it's a gentle, beautiful film. Uh, what was it that blew your mind? I think that um, I have always loved romantic comedy. I'm a, I, I, I have always, um, I, it speaks to me in some very deep way. And I'm trying to understand what makes a good romantic comedy work and really fascinated by the sort of, and in my own work, kind of like trying to push the needle forward a little bit and some make some corrections and things like that. But Izzy, the, the Amy Irving character, the reason I, that I think it blows my mind is because Izzy, and this is sort of a theme, I think for me, not just in my work, but just as a person in my own kind of searching is she's needing to make peace, not with the person that she dreamed. She it's a movie about really, truly making peace with who you are and celebrating it. It's not just making peace with it. It's celebrating it. It's not just comprom. It's not compromising or settling, but it's about really touching, really coming to terms with your truest self and then celebrating that even when it's not who you think you, the person you think you want to be. And Mm, so, mm. and so Izzy needs to make this, has this crushing realization. Well, who knows, but that like, she's not the fancy, uh, she's does that, that, that she's not doesn't. And that that's okay. She doesn't need to be the fast, you know, there's the, there's the character, the assistant to the poet who's sort of like moving as fast as the poet is. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah and yeah, you can kind of tell that they're like hooking up and stuff. And it's yeah. like, that's not Izzy. She's not really that person. And I think that's what blew my mind was like finding beauty. You were saying that all the beautifully observed things, it's a movie that finds beauty in things that aren't supposed to be beautiful. So like the pickle man, his hands smell like pickles. And she's like, that's gross until he explains to her how he gets the smell off of his hands with lemon juice. And vanilla. And vanilla. Vanilla. And And, yeah. And she said it smelled so beautiful. Yes. And, and, and that's, and there's a million things like that in the movie where the where where like it's like if you just turn the lens a little bit and look at it in a slightly different way the thing that you think is so silly or corny or not cool is actually really cool like when she goes to she thinks he's so unglamorous she thinks that his 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 career and his life is so unglamorous and she goes down to um the to the lower side and he's playing handball with these old men in a park and you can just tell if you look at it in a different way that's really romantic that he's playing handball with those old men and it and it, it's just everything like that is sort of like i loved that like it, it it isn't what we're used to which is which is that you know that that the cool, the cool, the the cool person has something that you feel like maybe you don't have. So it it like tapped into all these things of like the pickle man can be the romantic character, you know the 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 wimpy guy can be the romantic character, and the it's, it was just all those kind of those things that turned it on its head for me. No, because Peter Rieger too was so true to himself right. through the whole thing, and he didn't put up with her shit, but he was so patient. He would just let her kind of go, and and that's what I loved about his character. Oh my like, god, so yes, self assured and and proud. He was proud of yes, what he did. Yes, yes, and and he didn't. He 
he may let her come to it. You know, he he waited for her. And I honestly, I mean, I I get, I honestly get choked up thinking about it because he because he's, yeah, he's so he stands up for himself. Um, and when he says to her, you know, that scene outside the elevator, he says, "You think my life is so small?" Yeah, yeah. You know, you think you've got me figured out. That really spoke to me. Well, and that, Michael, I wonder these films that have such a profound effect on us, it is not simply because they are beautifully crafted or structures or observant, it's because we're feeling something at the same time and we kind of meet them in the middle. I don't want to psychologize you, but um, who were you when you saw that film? Yeah, what were so... you going through? Um... I was a freshman at college. Um, you were at NYU. I was at NYU. NYU, right. Um, and I really, it took me forever. I mean, you know, it took me forever to figure out who I, like, who who I was. I mean, in a sense. Were you trying to be a, a filmmaker then? Were you, no. Were you thinking? No, I actually, so I went is, to oh, NYU wow. to be a I went to NYU partially because, I mean, I was in arts and sciences. I was like the only person in my peer group at NYU that was in arts and sciences. They were all film school or acting program. And I actually left NYU after my freshman year and once went to Brown. Um, but I was maybe going to go into cinema studies. That, that was the, my fa my parents were both college professors. And so like being in the entertainment industry on the production side seemed very unobtainable. And so for me, like the, I thought I could maybe go into cinema studies. I had like gotten very interested in that. I um, like taken some classes and at NYU about, you know, like Westerns. And I learned a lot about Alfred Hitchcock, which is why I knew that that was a spellbound, uh, the Louis Booneywell thing. And like, I really loved dissecting movies in that way. And so I, um, that's kind of what I was there thinking I would do. And then I was in a comedy group at NYU that ended up changing the trajectory of my life, I suppose. Um, and I did know that I wanted to like do a comedy group in college, like an improv group or a sketch group or something like that, but I didn't see it going into where it all went. So at that time in my life, I really didn't know what I wanted, what I really, where it was all headed. So I thought you were in, I, I imagine that you were in film school. And so this had some kind of inspiration in filmmaking, like, What's great about this film too is there's, it it shows you um, the possibility of life even in your own life because she she's on one trajectory he's on another and then you see that and the making of the movie is a small movie that had a lot of effect in the world so you see what arts can do and sort of this notion of a small movie having impact, which wasn't the way it was back then. There are very few. It was just starting out. And then it became like a huge thing that the independent film movement came out of that at that time. So it was like that whole notion of you don't have to be, you don't have to make huge movies to be really effective and to be, to show your talent and to be accepted and, and to not even like necessarily be accepted in the, in the big sco scope of the world, but to, to make um, to make your mark in a really effective, you know, profound way. And that's what that movie did, I think, yeah. as well. I mean, I think I uh, honestly, for me, it was like it was and this was this was a lot of movies. It was sort of and, and you know, I have this huge association with New York City and be and living in New York and being like a young adult living in New York. And so it was like in the most pure way, like fantasy, just like, oh, my God, like. What if one day that was me and I was living in New York City and I had this cool group of friends and we're like going out to bars and book bookstores at night and like it was so just lost in the possibility of it um and 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 the romance I mean I really got swept away truly just in the sense of rooting for them to fall in love and like you know I thought Amy Irving was like so hot I was in love with Amy Irving. I was going to get to I that. I was so like, in love with Amy Irving and like boy. her outfit, like the clothes she oh, yeah. wears are like, she's very kind of, there's something kind of buttoned up and prim about her, but like, and she's very aloof. Yeah. 
Yeah, even when she yeah. wore the brown hat, she looked amazing. Yes. You know, and she wasn't, she let her hair go too. I mean, it was an interesting character because everybody tried to unethnicize themselves. I don't know if that's a word either. You <laughs> no, know, it you, is. you tried to not, you know, you tried to straighten your hair and right. not, not look that way. And she didn't. So she she was already on the path to being self-realized, I guess is the word. Yeah, for she's it, Jewish. But... Yes. She's Jewish. <laughs> and she's a yeah. Jewish romantic lead in every sense of the word. That movie is a very Jewish movie. And I'm not such a Jewish person, to be honest with you. Like it wasn't like I was so my parents, my father's an Episcopalian and my mother is Jewish, but I was not brought up with religion and I didn't have a bar mitzvah or anything like that. So it wasn't like I was like, finally, a um, movie for me. Or, it was, but, right. but um, I was really captivated by it. Amy Irving had that moment too. She was like, I would have called it, like, she was like the Jewish Farrah Fawcett of, <laughs> of, the, of the time. Like, there was that look. And then there's, if you don't want that, if you're like, that's too much for you, there's this other thing that's like very yeah. real. Yeah. But her eyes were, she's beautiful on camera. It was she's like got stunning. a beautiful mouth. Yeah. I love her mouth. Yeah. 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 There were a bunch of actresses from that time period that I like weren't like were like slightly off the beaten path. Like Karen Allen mm. was another one that I like. Oh, yes. Was yes. Obsessed mm. with Karen Allen. Um, now, did you did you take a date to this movie? Do you remember? I don't remember. I doubt it. Uh, I highly okay. doubt it. <laughs> I wasn't much of a dater. I mean, that's the other thing is like we didn't date really. Um, we just like went to parties and like hooked up with people like there was no dating oh that's true yeah i remember that i was <laughs> um, i was in new york at that time too um i was a little older than you but um the um around that though is have you shown this movie to a lot of people in your life if it if it blew your mind have you shown it i'm leading i'm leading the witness here um is the right answer like, yes <laughs> yes <laughs> No, do you, do you show it to people to see how they respond to it, to see your... Mm. I have movies like that that I'll show to people. If they don't like this movie, then sorry, they, they have to be out of my life. What are those movies you know? for you? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not going there yet. <laughs> Why <but>. not? <laughs> because, um, I, I, yeah, I could find one. Then give me a minute because I, I forgot. No, but. I mean, no, it, you know, I don't know if you guys relate to this. <laughs> maybe you do, maybe you don't. But for me, watching movies isn't social. So like, right. I actually yeah. don't like seeing it. My favorite way to see a movie is by myself in the middle of the day. That was me too in New York. Every Woody Allen movie that I was like the first Friday at the noon showing, it was me and a few ladies. And that's what, that's what I did. Yeah. I wanted to be, I wanted to be by myself. Cause I have a very know. intense react response to all of it, whether it's positive or negative, I'm having this like very, very intense response to it. So like, there's no small talk. I can't have small talk after a movie we can't i can't change the subject and talk about something else it's like right, i have to right. really sit with it for a while um and even now even now i'm that way i like to i like to watch movies sort of i mean now we have screeners and all these other things that but but like i'd like to take my time and really sit yeah. with it by myself and and so the answer is no i haven't done that um, mostly because I know I would like weird them out with how intensely I feel about it. You know, it's like when, when you, when you, I'm the same way with music. If there's a song that I like or a part in a song that I like or a music, I love musicals. And it's like, there will be like some part of a song where there's like a particular harmony or a particular line, a lyric or something. I'm like, listen to that. Listen to this part. Listen to that part. And they're like, calm down, calm down. You know, I'm like, you're not listening close enough. It's like, I, I get so worked up about it that I almost feel like I want to spare people that. And so I learned over the years that it's best to just sort of leave well enough alone. And I could talk to people like you about it. Um, and, and, and I, I love to cry too. And I, you don't want to go on a date, a movie that you're solving <laughs> yeah, at the yeah. end. And they're not. And then you're just like, you know. Well, that's the like good thing turns. about masks is that it, the one good thing about masks is that I can go to see shows now. And it's kind of you kind of can't tell that I'm like bawling my <laughs> eyes out. <laughs> but, Michael, if I had been with you um, and we'd gone to see this film together, I would have wanted to have the conversation afterwards about whether you think that relationship works out. Because mm. I'm not sure. I I'm not sure mm -hmm. how long that relationship would last mm -hmm. because Amy really? 
Yeah, Izzy. Izzy, I think she's, she's going to have lose. her head turned. Yeah, she's gonna. She's gonna. The smell of vanilla is going to wear off, and she's want to go. She's going to want to go back uptown to the book people and the wine. See, Sounds... I thought I thought she might stray, but he will always be there, He'll and he had that there. strength, and he wasn't going. And he wouldn't chase her either. Right. And when you don't chase somebody, it's amazing how they come back. <laughs> is that a life lesson, Cooper? <laughs> I don't even know if that's true, but, but yeah, that but. part of her, there would always be that part of her that still felt like he was the pickle man. Yeah. Yes. And, and also that part of her that, that was restless and aspiring yeah. to take it forward. Totally. So I think, you know, what, what you said at the beginning about this meeting, this, this, it's not a compromise, but it's kind of a coming together of what has gone before and what you wish to happen next. Mm. I think he represents something of what came before, but not the what she wants to happen mm. next. So she's always going to be a little bit restless. Mm-hmm. Is my, I think you're right. Is what I think. I think you're absolutely right. Sad. Will she ever find happiness? Is there anyone there for, is there anyone who would ever fulfill her, that part of that restlessness? Or is it, is it something she'll always have, whether she's with the pickle man or anybody else? Yeah. I think she'll always have it. And then it's that thing too. Do they move out of New York and move to those towns that are up there, Nyack or yeah. Westchester? Yeah, right, and then yeah. that's when it all falls. That's when it all falls. Tarrytown. Tarrytown. Yeah. Yeah. It all, you just get all bored up there and then you start, and it turns into, um, um, what's the, who's afraid of Virginia? No, there's, you're absolutely right. <laughs> there's no way that, that, and also that romance can't go on forever at a certain point. Like it's a, it's a magical movie. It's a yeah, kind of a well, magical, it's a very magical reality they're living in. I just had yeah. a hunch though, that Peter Riegert was really good in bed. I mean, I'm cutting to the chase here. Oh, I just did. He had an intensity about him. Maybe that's, maybe that's why <laughs> she had to look away when he was handling the pickles. Pickle pressure. Pickle pressure. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, and I think she might. Even though she won't go and be the poet's assistant, she'll go back. She'll go back and read some more pages. Oh my she'll... god, he's so awful! I think that's another thing awful. I love about the movie is how just like deliciously horrible the poet is. And and they captured it so well because they didn't make him. Now, if they did that movie, he'd be so horrible. Like you kind of liked him. I I thought, thought he was, was horrible. Quite hot. No, you I liked him. Hot. Yeah, he was hot. Yeah, but he's yeah. so he hot. narcissistic and and, yes. and inconsiderate and yes. And he interrupted her when she spoke. Yeah, he ordered her. He ordered her dessert when she said she didn't want any. That oh, that I was like that's that. a I, big I no, 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 no. I'm there for anybody who orders me dessert. I'm like, no, I think dessert autonomy like, is you're a pain, right? <laughs> And I will eat it. So how, Michael, how did you go? What was it that interests you about or that you love about romantic comedies? Why that genre? I mean, I guess like I, I, you know, I, I, like so many people, I, you know, obsessed over girls and falling in love and stuff. And so they, they speak to that part of you that is, I I don't know. They, they, it's, it's some, I mean, I, this goes into this whole thing about like the messaging of romantic comedies, which you said, which is this idea that like, Oh, they, you know, they kiss at the end of the movie and then they live happily ever after. And it's like, no, they don't. Of course they don't. All these movies we've seen where the two leads like, and you know, what, you know, right off into the sunset. And it's like, we spend our whole lives like chasing after that chasing yeah. after the promise of like perfect, perfect blissful union that a romantic comedy promises. And, um, but it's not just the romance, it's the lifestyle because romantic comedies are always about people that are kind of often, at least the ones that I like. they were sort of often urbane. They lived in cities, they had cool jobs. They had a, a bunch of friends, whether it was, four weddings and a funeral or what, you know, the British rom-coms and the American rom-coms. And it's sort of like, that's the life I want. You know, I want to be in a big city and I want to have an artistic career and I want my friends to be this sort of hodgepodge of, of, of interesting, colorful, funny, odd, flawed people. Like I think romantic comedies oftentimes revel in, in idiosyncrasies and things like that. And, 
And so it was like this, it was this life that I really wanted. And a lot of my filmmakers are the, are the romantic comedy filmmakers, whether it's Woody Allen or Nora Ephron or Richard Curtis or on and on. Um, so it was like a whole life. It was like a whole life, life map. Um, where these characters were existing inside of coffee shops and bars and apartments and bookstores. And that's very much the life that I wanted for myself. And so those movies spoke directly to that part of me that saw that for myself. And, and when you say that this was like something in all your movies come back to this. And I was, I was trying to like make sense of that for the last 10 minutes. That's why I've been so quiet. Um, I think what you do really well too is the details of of a human in their characters to make them real because that's what makes a character real in a movie. It's like weird little idiosyncratic things that they do as characters become become what makes it real to you. Yeah, it's, just, it's not cookie cutter when that's and she had a few of those in this movie, but like because I, I even thought like, well, how does Wet Hot American Summer tied to this but that was a blown out sort of um well but but uh, i mean coop is the pickle man (laughs) coop is the pickle man and katie is izzy and she's choosing between me and and paul rudd's character andy right and it's it's sort of like can the underdog get the girl girl and the girl is sort of a little bit out of his league Mm -hmm. but he's gonna he's gonna show her that that like he's you know the right one because he's actually, and she says, she says in the, at the end of wet hot, she says the whole thing about, you know, when I'm older, I'm going to, you're going to be the better person for me. Like like when I'm in my, I can't remember. She says when I'm in my twenties or my thirties, whatever she says, and I'm actually looking for a real relationship, you're going to be the one that I want to be with. But right now I I'm only 16 years old and I just want sex. (laughs) And like, he's just a lot hotter than you are, you know? Um, And so, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's that it's sort of like, you know, and I made this movie called the Baxter, which is all about the wrong boyfriend. So like the, 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 the trope of the wrong boyfriend or the wrong girlfriend that in every romantic comedy, there's always the wrong one. And there's all these ways in which we're told that the wrong one is the wrong one. They have the wrong, they, their laugh is off-putting or they don't know they can't hold their liquor or they they always have these sort of qualities about them that make them the wrong one and essentially they're not graceful in 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 the world there's something ungraceful about them and that that's what tells the audience that that's why they're wrong and so the baxter is sort of imagining well what if that person what happens to bill pullman's character in sleepless in Seattle after he's dumped by Meg Ryan 20 minutes into the movie, because he's gone from the movie after that. And it's, so it's sort of like what happens to him and the pickle man is like the most heroic Baxter of all time, in my opinion. Um, and so like that, my movie, the Baxter is very much an exploration of those guys that are like wrong in some way. And so of course, on some level, I felt like I was that guy. Like, I mean, whether I was or I wasn't is sort of irrelevant because all my, a lot of people tell me like you, you sort of see yourself as uncool, but you actually are very cool. And you were always like well-liked and stuff, but for whatever reason, it's not how I felt. I didn't feel that way. So, um, and then, you know, I could go through each 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 one of my things and probably find something like that. But um I think too it was I think too it was that that in Crossing Delancey, there's three or four moments that hit me anyway, like in the gut. That are like for me, they're cry moments and not not in the way of that they're sad, but there's something so profoundly true about it that you don't get to see that very often. And for me, that's the like firework moment of a movie. And like, so I've tried to accomplish, that's something that I've aspired to is to find a moment where you go, wow, they actually got to something that was very true. And like in spoiler alert, there's a moment like that. There's several, but there's a moment in spoiler alert where Jim Parsons and 
Ben Aldridge are on the deck and Ben Aldridge's character has been given a terminal diagnosis. It's like game over. And we've been through the whole, we've, we've been with them for the whole, this whole movie. And we've gotten to know them very well by this point. And we've seen the ups and downs and all these different things. And they're, they're on the, they're on the deck of their New York apartment and they're talking and it's, it's a really emotional scene. And Jim asks, Ben, are you afraid to die? And they're sort of asking all the questions that they're that that you don't ever want to ask, you know? And I'm gonna get choked up here because only because again, it's these moments where where it's as a storyteller, you go, Yeah, we we got there. We got to the true thing. And even more in spoiler alert, you love them both. Yes. That's what's there's not a good or a bad <laughs> no, one of no, either of them. No. You and- love them both and you feel for both sides in a really horrible yes. way. And he says, yeah. um, he asks out of nowhere, did you have an affair with uh, this other character in the movie that we've, that we've sort of learned about Sebastian. Did you have an affair with Sebastian? Which is like, this is the time you're going to ask him. He's had an affair with Sebastian <laughs> when he just got, you know, when he just got the terminal diagnosis, this is when you're going to ask him that in a sense, it's like, it's the only time to ask him. And he says, yes, I did. And which, of course, was the answer that had had to be the answer. And Jim part and the Jim Jim's character sort of doesn't react, really, because he knew it. He knew that that's what it was. And he just wanted the truth. And then Ben's character uh, starts to apologize for misleading him, for lying to him about it. And then Jim says, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. And this is. And again, I, I'm saying this because in Crossing Delancey, there's there's like three or four of these moments that to this day I go back to and I go, wow, they got to this unbelievably beautiful, truthful, authentic thing between two people. He says, no, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that I made that that I blamed you for things that were really my fault. And he's sort of like saying all the things that are wrong with him. And then he says. And I'm sorry that I never told you how great you look in this, in, in these pants, like how great your body looks in these pants. And the reason I never told you is because I was afraid that if you knew how beautiful you were, you would leave me. And, and, and when we, when we got to that amongst ourselves, when we, dug down and got to that sentiment. It felt so good. And I feel like that's something that crossing Delancey does not to, not to, you know, minimize spoiler alert that I go, that's what I want to do as an artist. That's what I want to do is, is to make people laugh and, and, and enjoy it. But then every once in a while get down to something that like makes you go, wow, that was there's nothing about that that's not true because he's saying, I withheld love from you because I was afraid that if you knew that, you would leave me. And I just think that's a very powerful thing. It's just really powerful. And when you, as for me and the things that I've done, when I, when I, when we get to something like that, it's just like, wow, yeah, I did it, you know? And, and, and so, and so I think crossing to Lancey, unlike a Woody Allen movie, which maybe, or some of these others that are more comedic or a little bit more um, Hollywood or whatever, that's a movie that really goes to that place quite often. And I really love that about it. So can you, if you were thinking of a moment in crossing to Lancey um, that does that for you, what would you, what would be an example? I mean, there's a bunch of them. I mean, the this one I'll meet is one for me. Now, it's not quite the same thing. I think the the ver- the example would be the one where he said for me it would be a little bit when he says you think you you think you um you think my life is so small, and she's so busted. She's so busted in that moment, and he's really forcing her to to look at herself. He's really forcing her to to examine her own because she's so sure of her like wokeness or whatever that wasn't a word back then but she's so convinced of her like with itness and he really 
identifies in a very beautiful and terse way that that's not true. Because she adores all these people that are about empathy and like that she's works in a bookstore that and po with the poetry and everything. So she's called out on a not the most feeling person. Exactly. She, yeah. She is acting like she is. And I love that. I love a movie that like yeah. where, where your, where your main characters can truly actually really be flawed. Like they really are not perfect, even remotely. And you call them out on it. And then you see what they do with that information. See, that's why they're still together. They're living in New York. <laughs> They've had some few rough spots, but they still go to their favorite. They're, they're probably pretty old by now, but they're, um, they go to their favorite restaurants. They have friends that are smart and they go to the Angelica still probably themselves. Yeah, because, I well, I mean, I will say this. I think he understands her the like tempest of her like i think he understands her that part of her that is that is unsatisfied and that is want and that he like he loves that about her he sees it and he's yeah, not he doesn't judge her he's not afraid of that he's not afraid mm -hmm. of that she's like that and so i do think he would work with her and and i think that like that's the other thing too is is that like there's got to be compromise in a relationship. There's got to be like some meeting in the middle that goes on and some like acceptance of who you are and who I am. And that there's these ways in which we're never going to be the same person. But like, if we've got any shot, we're going to have to like embrace that about each other. And I do think he's, he loves that about her. He, that doesn't intimidate him. Um, and so she needs to be that way towards him. She needs to love the, that he's the way he is too and if those two things can happen then they've got a shot maybe i could be handling this better handling what what are you handling me i don't blame you for being you come annoyed. to my stand you invite me out to dinner you set me up with your girlfriend you get your bubby to drag me over here a guy could get a little tired of this routine i did what's not... the problem here you think it's so small my world you think it's so provincial you think it defines me is that it no no i don't I feel like I keep apologizing to you, like I can't get it right. Sam, I want to get it right. So what do you take from that, Michael? It's interesting. If I had done this movie I now, I would say she says, yes, I do think that. And then you have to figure out where to go from there. Right. Or at least she's more caught off guard and doesn't know how to respond. And then he's like, that's his answer. Like her inability to respond to that is, is his answer. Cause that is the problem. That is exactly what it is. You think my world is so small. You think I'm so provincial. You think it defines me. And she says, no, but the truth is the answer is yes. Yes. I think her not being able to speak because she's been busted by him feels true. Yeah. And then, yeah. Oh, let's remake it. And then, <laughs> yeah. the, and then the elevator door closes. Yeah, like, and he's he knows that's the truth. Oh shit! Yeah, there's so much, just so much going on in that scene. I mean, we haven't talked about it, but she really likes him, but she just can't see herself with him, and so she sets him up on a date with her best friend in the most, as you were saying, John, the most cringy poorly executed accidental meetup <laughs> and he's immediately onto it. I mean, he, he susses it out instantly. Um, and so in that scene, he's basically just fed up and, and she kind of, I like that line where he says, for someone who doesn't want to see somebody, you sure are seeing a lot of me, you know, it's. Um, <laughs> and that's the thing you were saying, Cooper, about, don't chase after somebody he's mad and we can feel that as the viewer like he's probably yes. mad with her and she can feel it too and so she she needs to she needs to make it better and i think that's why mm, she mm -hmm. that's why she's then able mm -hmm. to talk to say i want to make it right and it's a, there's misconceptions too it's one of those movie things where she he didn't come over there to to be there for when she came home he was invited over and right. then, you know, so there's that miscommunication that kind of 
helps confuse the whole thing. It's which which crazy. which is the biggest, which is the Jane Austen, right? So, which totally. which, which is the other going back to the the theme of romantic comedy, like the Jane Austen invention of the great misunderstanding, which is such a powerful device in romantic comedy. And there's an amazing misunderstanding in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Should we should we talk about that? I think we I think if it's 1988, spoiler alerts don't count. Yeah. So so one of the things that she is most convinced of from the very beginning of the movie, and truthfully, the audience never questions it either, is that because the the character of the matchmaker is this great actress, Sylvia Miles, who's like covered in makeup and she's eats food with her. She's kind of uh very loud and and kind of a bull in a china shop and 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 she really is someone you would really, really wouldn't want to meet <laughs> use you really wouldn't want to utilize her services um and so there is a part of the audience too that does feel like this guy this p- pickle man is utilizing this matchmaker to meet women which we don't judge him harshly for it but we don't it it affects our opinion of him a tiny bit and at at a later point in the movie, it's revealed that well, should you should you just want to play the clip? Oh, good idea. Absolutely. Well, she's like sort of agreed to spend some time with him. This is their first sort of like. This is the first moment where she's like sort of slightly open to him a tiny little bit. I should have spoken to you on my own the first time I saw you. When was that? The first time. About three and a half years ago, I think. Where? In the neighborhood, on the benches with your bubby, around. Really? Then one day, Mrs. Mandelbaum comes by the store and does her usual spiel. Shows me her pictures, tells her lies. This one's 18, a scholar. This one's 22, a beauty. <laughs> Some of these pictures were taken before the flashbulb was invented. But it's like this little ritual we have. She has a business, and I respect that. I'm a bachelor. She can't help herself. Wait a minute. You mean you didn't hire her? No. But on this particular day, she pulled this from her bag. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yes, Mrs. Mandelbaum, this one I'll meet. Right as she's, I forgot that that happens right when she's about to set him up with the friend. Well, we've all forgot that the friend is even there. We've forgotten even as an audience because <laughs> he's so romantic in that moment. She's so off off her game at that point. She's felt something real and doesn't know what to do with it. It's like it's a, it's a perfect scene. And then. Yeah, he, it's like her mind is blown. Everything that she thought she knew about him is completely thrown out off kilter in that moment. It's great. That's another thing that I love about the film, that it it takes the time it's not just like slam, 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 plot point, plot point. There are these there are these times where we can really feel she's slipping or she's about to do something really crazy or she, is she going to mess this one up? And I love that was one of those moments where suddenly we are not wishing it worked out with the other guy. We're wishing uh, with the other woman. It, we're wishing that she just is true to herself, as you say. She just... Well, we, you know, going back to sort of like, how does this stuff show up in the other movies? And I remember in the in the Big Sick, when it's very important that when she comes out of the coma, that she find out about some of the noble, noble things he did while she was in a coma without him telling her. And that's the Jane Austen thing. Like she can't know. He can't just tell her, oh, well, I did X, Y, and Z thing. She has to find out about it. And he has to, and the audience has to be like, if you would just tell her this one thing, that would fix everything. But it's it's like, uh, like, like th- there's no humility in him telling her unsolicited. So Peter Rieger has known this the whole time, but he's only telling her when she asks. And because if he offered it only in the way that is in movies, 
it's one notch less noble than him having it pulled out of him like oh i wasn't even going to tell you this and um i can't remember what it is but in big sick zoe kazan's character emily finds out something that he did by watching a youtube video and i can't remember what what it was i can't remember the detail but it was very much that thing of like trying that the, you know the very delicate way that the misunderstandings have to be handled um and i learn i learn as a person i learn about it i learn oh that's how you that's the way to be like i actually learn from these characters like that's what i want to be i want to be the person that like does the thing that is noble. right is noble, noble. and doesn't right. tell anybody noble. and doesn't tell right. anybody right yes yeah um as long as somebody finds out as long as, as long as somebody out. finds <laughs> out <laughs> eventually um yeah. but uh but yeah so it's a it's a that is a great moment watching it again now i mean you're just like oh wow wow this one i'll meet so romantic yeah. i mean this you talking about jane austen talking about romantic comedies um and this need, this need and this love that we have as audiences for them, you know, sadly, this is the kind of movie that it feels like it's harder to, to get made, certainly harder to see in a theatre with, with an audience. But there's something about this beautiful, it's, it's still set up and payoff, but the setup, the intricacy of the setup and what else can be smuggled into the setup, like the observing of a of a a life on the lower east side that that even then the filmmaker knew perhaps was slipping away um the uh how we can explore people's characters and go on on beautiful little digressions before we get to the payoff and then the payoff is ultimately really satisfying even though we know it's just a moment and maybe they won't be together forever but we need that as a storytelling species, don't we? We need that satisfaction. And I was also thinking that um, as you were talking that most, I share the love of romantic comedies that you do and with the same directors, and they're always in cities because there's a possibility of an energy colliding, the aspirational notes that we that we want, different kinds of people I was trying to think if if there are any famous romantic comedies that are rural. I'm sure hmm. there are. There must be, but it just seems to depend on cities. There's something wonderful. Well, there's like Sweet Home Alabama or, <laughs> or like Doc Hollywood is a rural story, but there's a city element to it. Right. right. Um, there's always usually a character that's from the city that is like touching their getting back to nature sort of um, like shedding that skin that part of that jaded city character who's, you know, who's constantly drinking coffee and right. moving a, mi a mile a minute and all this stuff. They go back to the country and they like the way things, things are really slow and quirky in the country and they fall in love with it. Uh, Local Hero, another, um, another Peter Rieger movie, another amazing Peter Rieger film is yeah. that where he goes, he's this, he's from Houston, I believe. And he's this oil executive and he goes to this small coastal town in Ireland to rip them off and he ends up falling in love with this tiny little you know rural yeah. community Scottish in, I in, think yeah is it Scottish and it's I Scottish, remember yeah. it's like he he checks in at a, at a hotel and the guy who checks him in at the hotel they have a funny interaction and then he goes into his hotel room and he unpacks his bag and then he needs to go see the, like the lawyer in town that represents whoever it is that owns this land that he's trying to buy. And it's the same guy from the hotel <laughs> only. And it's almost right. like he's like putting That's on right. a tie as he's going into his office. It's like this one guy has five jobs in this town. It's really funny. Uh, that's right. That's the classic local hero. Okay. Classic yeah. rural. If, if you go back to like American musical, like Oklahoma, um, yeah. there's a lot of that in musicals. It's oddly enough. I think maybe because of the music, they pull the music out of these places right. and that's right. kind of part of what makes them different. You know? But I, another thing about it for me, and again, this is something I particularly got from, from watching Richard Curtis movies is the idea that in a city, often you have like a, a new family 
it's like a found family. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so, so your friends become your family. It's like you sort of leave your, whatever you grew up with that maybe didn't fit you quite right. And then you go to the big city and in the big city is where you find a a different kind of family that, that sees you in a different way and, and appreciates you in a different way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, I, I, I think that, again, in sort of the sort of cinema studies kind of way, I think that what happened is we, we, your point about how finely observed it all is, is that we got, we knew we got to the place where we learned the tropes so deeply that we stopped understanding what the tropes were, why they were there. And that's where a trope becomes a cliche to me. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so is when you put it in, in your story without knowing why. Yeah. Like, like it's actually not a cliche if you know why you're doing it, in my opinion. So all romantic comedies are set during the holidays, which is a cliche, unless you know why you're doing that, unless you have a reason for that. Or, or what, even what I just said, it's always set in a city, which is a cliche, unless you know why, why are you choosing a city over the country? And if you have an answer to that, then you can do something that feels, and I feel like what, for whatever reason with, with romantic comedy, the rules of romantic comedy took over to where they were being used without the filmmakers or the screenwriters knowing why they were doing it. Mm-hmm. And there's so much about other worlds, other worlds claim. This is in, in, in crossing Delancey, it's, it's old world, new world. And then there's city world, rural world. There, there's like the different worlds that we come from yes. and or escaping from and how that plays into it yeah these intersections the the wonder of strangeness with each other it's what you have to overcome beautiful well you know we've we could genuinely talk about this for another three hours and also learn about the craft and the structure of you direct you write you produce all this stuff that goes into telling of a story but we can't do any of that because i think we're out of time but we did have a, a couple of very quick fire questions that we wanted to ask, if that's okay, Michael. Please. Um, I'll, I'll start, if I may, Cooper. These are the lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round, okay. Um, what is the weirdest thing that you've experienced in a cinema? What jumps to my mind only because it, we were talking about the Angelica. I remember I went, I went and saw a movie by myself at the Angelica in the middle of the day. And I'm maybe there were three or four other people there, but one of the three or four other people there was Lauren Hutton. Lauren Hutton, and she had a cast on her leg and and crutches. So that's that's just a that is a vision, right? And so mine was what was mine? If if you is there any movie that that you recall that you I call it the oh god I wish I had directed that movie the movie that you wish you would have directed because I love it so much. Yeah, yeah, like you felt like you could have done it and it would have been yours. It was yours in another time, in another place. It might've been yours. Oh, interesting. Um, I mean, I love like, I mean, I love like up in the air. Oh, okay. I mean, but that's like a contemporary movie that I saw that I just thought was oh. all the th- things that we're talking about. Yeah. It had yeah. surprise. It had these surprises, these gut punch moments, these very flawed characters, yeah. very richly observed film, um, funny, but also kind of heartbreaking. And so that's, that's what jumps to mind. And then what was that? I think I would one more, like, is there a film that no matter where it's playing, you have to stop and watch some of it. It's like, it just draws you in immediately. The film that. That's such a good question. Well, my wife the other day was watching American Psycho, the uh, Christian Bale. And like, you can't take your eyes off that movie and that performance. Like, like you find yourself just sitting down again and, and then you'll have someplace you have to go and you're almost pissed that you have to leave it. Like you get sucked right in. Yeah. And it, and it was such a like, oh, oh my God, he can do that. Like he, I feel like that was the moment for Christian Bale where you're like, oh my God, he's just on a whole other stratosphere. His American accent, his his performance is so brave and like over the top in all the best way. He understood the mission. 
of that character and that movie so well. And then just his body, his body is like nuts. It's just crazy. And it's very rare that you see an actor. I guess it happens more often now, but it's just rare that you see an actor transform themselves in that way. So I'll say American Psycho, which is also a very funny film. Those are all good because you and you answer those quick. I, you know, yeah, I would have been I would have been stumped. Well, because no one wants to hear me think. <laughs> so I felt I had to answer quick. We want to hear you think. OK, <laughs> always. If you'd like to share the film that blew your mind, send us an email to stories at the film that blew my mind dot com. The film that blew my mind is hosted by me, John Cooper. And me, Tabitha Jackson. Our executive producer is Jessica Buzzard. The show is produced by Goat Rodeo, and to find more of their work, go to GoatRodeoDC.com. Executive producers at Goat Rodeo are Megan Nadalski and Ian Enright. Creative producers are Max Johnston, Isabel Kirby McGowan, Rebecca Seidel, and Jay Venables. Mixing and engineering by Rebecca Seidel. Intro music from Wayne Jones. Marketing and publicity by Stephen Raphael at Required Viewing. Graphics by Lee Fenvis. Special thanks to Trevor Groth, Kirsten Chalker, John Nine, and especially Christine Buzzard. Also to all our friends and family who put up with us and our crazy projects. Aww. If you like this episode, why don't you subscribe to stay up to date on new ones? And maybe leave us a rating and a review. Oh, and if you have any left... Tell your friends.